You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church or service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Christ is risen. Hallelujah! Gotta go Anglican every once in a while. It's great to be here today. He's alive! The grave could not contain him. Death has lost its sting. Hell has no victory. This morning is a morning full of hope. But think about this. For Jesus' mother, for Mary of Magdala, for the disciples, the day began not as a day of hope, but as a day of despair. They woke up that morning to go to the tomb, expecting to anoint and dress Jesus' body. They were expecting to go in grief, in weeping, in greeting, in mourning, and God transformed their expectation before they even got there. What are you hoping for this morning? What are you hoping for this morning? And, and here's a serious question. What hopes have you given up on? Think about that for a second. What hopes have you given up on? Have, have, you, have you given up on the hope that your MOT won't cost that much? Because <laughs> it's just not realistic. Have you given on the, up on the hope that you can make amends? Have you given up on the hope that 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 person might forgive you. Or on the hope that you might find it possible to be the one who does the forgiving. Have you given up on the hope for that tension in the workplace or at home to be resolved? Does it feel like it's hopeless now? Have you given up on the hope of having a happy marriage? To have kids and to settle down or to become all that you can be. Or, or maybe your hope is a bit more like basic today. And, you know, you're giving up on your hope for the new phone because they're just getting so expensive you'll never get a new phone. Well, what, is, what are your hopes today? And what hopes have you given up on? How many ways can and has your hope been disappointed? True hope. It's, it's like a blanket that, that covers completely, leaves nothing uncovered, no gaps for cold air to penetrate, but also allows for breathing. That's, that's true hope. Now, this week, um, because, because of a wedding yesterday, we had a family of five living with us in our house, so you know, Jess and I are normally there just on our own, and suddenly there's seven people in the house, three little pens. In the house. How was that? Was that okay? Good. Not bad. Ian's Oh, come on. I'm trying. I'm trying. And, and suddenly our house is kind of at capacity. And, and so the sleeping arrangements were this. We, we felt for Stuart and Gina, we let them use our, our room so that they had our bed. And then the two of the kids were in the spare room. Uh, and then Eli, the youngest kid, had a little air bed in his parents' room. And then, uh, my office is not big enough for two people, so there was a choice for myself and Jess. We knew we weren't going to be in the same room, 
uh, there was a choice between the living room or the office. I chose the living room because I've got a tally. No, but <laughs> I chose the living room um, because uh, it, I knew the kids would be getting up early in the morning and I know Jess likes lying. So I, I said, you can have the office, and it gives her a bit more dignity as well, you know. You can kind of get up in your own time and kind of present yourself before you want to be seen by the world. And, and so I thought, you know, that's a gentlemanly thing to do. Oh, yeah. Come on. So, <laughs> so all the guys in church now going, he's a greeter. A souk. He's a big souk as well. Brilliant. And uh, the thing was, I was on this, this airbed, which was great. Now, airbeds can be really good, uh, or they can be really bad, especially if you wake up in the morning and your butt's on the floor because the airbed's gone down during the night. <laughs> Luckily, it wasn't like that. But because we've gone, uh, um, uh, what's it called? Floor. Lino, not lino. Laminate. Vinyl. Laminate. Laminate. Because we've got a laminate floor. Boy, does it get cold about five in the morning. <laughs> and like, every draft seems to come up through the bottom of the airbed. And, and, and through my duvet, so in the end I was getting this big, thick, woolly blanket and chucking that over myself as well, just for those early hours of the morning when it got really cold. And the thing is, I realised, if I didn't tuck in that, that blanket at every little nook and cranny, the cold would find a way in. And mothers often say, don't they, uh, when you're wearing a coat, if you're wearing indoors, take it off because you won't feel the benefit. How many of you have said that, maybe? You won't feel the benefit outdoors. But it's, it's true. In fact, a coat is pretty useless if you don't do it up. If you don't actually wrap yourself in it. A coat's no good if you half do it up. A blanket's no good if you half put it around yourself. Is your hope complete? That's not going to keep me warm. Is it? Looks good. It looks good. I look like a Roman in my toga. Sorry about that. That's not really appropriate for church, is it? Um, at least I've got my shirt on. If you want to get the benefit of the blanket, you have to fully wrap yourself in it. Now, your hope this morning needs to be the kind of hope that you can fully wrap yourself in. But the problem is, when you're hoping in these other things other than Jesus, it's not a good enough blanket. It's going to be patchy in places, or it's not going to be big enough to cover everything so that you get a full, secure hope. Where is your hope this morning? Is it like the covering that completely covers, like the blanket that keeps out the cold air, the raincoat that keeps out the rain completely, or are there weaknesses or gaps in your hope, leaving you feeling exposed, uncomfortable, Miserable. Doesn't it really depend upon what your covering is made of? But here's the thing what I found out is that this is useless in the rain. It's the wrong covering. But a raincoat, great in the rain, is useless in the cold. So we need the right covering. Is your hope fit for purpose? What is your hope made of? What is the substance of your hope. Now Peter says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, hallelujah, and into an inheritance that can never perish, 
spoil or fade. In a hundred years' time, it is unlikely that this rather stunning blanket that my wife has will even exist. Or if it does, it will have holes in it, it will be moth-eaten, it will maybe just be fragments of what it is now. But the hope that we receive through our inheritance in Christ can never perish. Amen. Spoil or fade. And notice that this is a living hope. Yes. Okay, so what is our living hope? Actually, a better question is who is our living hope? It's the hope that comes through the one who was resurrected. Yeshua Christos, as we've been talking about recently. Jesus the Christ, through the resurrection which we're celebrating today. Jesus has purchased for us a living hope in an imperishable inheritance. But more than that, we love him. It's not just that this hope is something that we can clutch and kind of make us feel better. We can love him. We can express and he can express to us. That is a living hope. Breathing in and breathing out. Now Revelation 1, 8 describes God himself as, and, and yes, this is Jesus speaking, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come. Like a blanket, he can wrap this side, he can wrap the back, he can wrap the front, he's the one who is, who was, who is to come. He can cover completely. Revelation 22, 13 adds, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Do you see this picture of Jesus completely covering, not just you, but history? Not just you, but all of creation. That he covers it completely. And then Psalm 139, and I love this because it, it really sums this up, says, You hem me in behind Amen. and before. Amen. Now, I'm a greeter, but I'm also a hugger. I love a hug. I love that, that closeness. I love that sense of connection. You, you, there's a kind of security, isn't there? If you're a hugger, if not, you hate it. But if you're a hugger, there's a kind of security to that. Particularly if you're a child and you have a parent who wraps their arms around you completely. There's a complete security in that, isn't there? And that's what God does. The one who's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the one who hems us in, wraps us up completely. What is the substance of your hope? <coughs> He's the substance of our hope and no other hope and no other thing that we hope in can deliver us. He covers completely. If he was only the God who was, which we talked about a few weeks ago. If he was only the God who was, he would be like half a covering. What good would that be to us now? If he was the God who was in the past, but is no longer, there's no help for you there. And if he's the God, uh, like, like a man who lived and died like any historical figure, but not the one who always existed, then what good can he possibly do to us now or in the future? And, and how would his death be anything more than symbolic if he, was, if he wasn't raised to life. And if he was just a good thing now, 
the one who is. If God is just a good thing now while we're alive, like a crutch to help weak-minded people through life, then where's the hope in that? For surely that, that hope would depend entirely upon our circumstances right here and right now. And if our circumstances are poor, the blanket slips a little bit and, and our hope is fractured. But he isn't only the one who was and he isn't only the one who is. He is also the one who is to come. He will be returning. There will be a second advent. Jesus is coming back. Amen. And we're, we're looking back 2,000 years today and, and seeing the Saviour who rises from the grave. Uh, and that's amazing. And we, and we say, God, that means that you are here now, that you are Emmanuel, that you are with me in this present moment, in my suffering, in my tears, in, in my shame, in my sin. You are here, but you are also coming back. Let's remind ourselves of that this morning. This isn't the end of the story. That's not where it finishes. When Jesus ascended into heaven, that's not it. Guys, figure it out for yourselves. I'll give you my Holy Spirit to help you get along for your lives. But really, that's the whole picture. He's coming again. Amen. He's going to return. It's an absolute certainty. Jesus, the one who was, the one who is, is the one who is to come. The always existing Logos, the Word of God, is coming back for his second advent. And then Revelation says this, and I'm sorry about that getting chopped off the bottom there. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. And by the way, that represents victory. A white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. That's the same word by the way there that John used and this is the same author as well. It's the same word that John used at the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the word, the logos. And he says, and his name is the logos of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now this, some, in some places here, that looks like bad news, but this is still good news because he is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. And, and this wrath of God that he's dealing with, that he's treading in the wine press, has been dealt with on the cross and the wine that has flowed out of that wine press is his blood which was shed for you. Revelation is some really tricky reading. And I'm sure some of you have kind of come a cropper in there a little bit before. And I'm not even going to pretend that I know everything that there is to know. And there will be huge gaps in my understanding here. And actually, if you want to, uh, I haven't actually asked him, but if you, if you want to understand a bit more of Revelation, I think Len would be a really good person to talk to because Len digests this kind of stuff. He's an excellent teacher, a really quality teacher. 
I'm not going to get into the whole language and the kind of speculation about interpretation of Revelation here. There's large portions of Scripture that point to the second coming of Jesus Christ, talking about how, when, what to expect, and I'm not going to cover that today. There's also so much debate on the specifics of what this all means, and I guarantee that there will be hundreds of schools of thought about each little verse in Revelation and what it means. And you might hear phrases like rapture, tribulation. You might hear things like post-millennialism or pre-millennialism or amillennialism. And that might really start to confuse you. Please today, don't worry about that stuff. What I want you to have in your head is this, that Jesus is coming back. That Jesus is coming back. You know, for each president of the USA that has been inaugurated in my lifetime, I have heard somebody say, one believer, at least one believer, for each president say they're the Antichrist and this is why they're the Antichrist. Every time, I guarantee it, without fail. Both the Bush presidents, uh, Donald Trump, President Obama, every time this guy's the Antichrist. You watch, mark my words, this guy will be the Antichrist and try and convince me. My, my mind doesn't want to be on that. My mind wants to be on him who is to come. There are people who will look at all uh, what's happening politically around the world and then use revelation to interpret that right now, including Brexit and things like that. Listen, don't worry about what it all means because Jesus has this. He's got it in his hands. He's holding it. That's what I want you to know. He's coming back. And there's nothing for you to be afraid of in him because he has this. He holds the future. He covers you completely. His hope is imperishable and it's complete. Put your hope in Jesus. Put your hope in the coming Christ. I'm not dissing all of these things. I'm not saying here and now that I disagree with everything that I've heard of different people's uh, interpretations and revelations. But that's not what I'm on about this morning. What I'm on about. Is this hope? I want to remind you this morning that Jesus is coming back. And and I'd caution you not to get too preoccupied with all of that stuff. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying that we don't need wisdom and understanding and interpretation when it comes to tricky books like Revelation and Daniel. But don't get bogged down in that. Put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes upon Him. Because at the end of the day, He's the absolute object. The the pinnacle of our faith and of our hope. It's all in Jesus. It's all in Him. And He's going to return. As as surely as this message is going to come to an end. (laughs) You might not feel like it, but this message is going to come to an end this morning. Jesus is going to come back. And it doesn't even matter whether you feel like Jesus is going to come back. I asked at the beginning about those hopes that you've kind of given up on. And I think quite often you see believers who live like they've given up on the hope that Jesus is going to return. Given up on the certainty that Jesus is going to come back. So it becomes all about how I live my life now. 
And you see the problem with that is that it gets to this point where you're legalistically going to be trying to be good. Trying to live a good life. Trying to leave a good legacy. When the truth the gospel is that he's lived a good life for you. He's lived a perfect life for you and credits that to you on account of your faith. There are some things that we can be certain about, about the one who is to come. So if you'll permit me just briefly, firstly, it's going to be obvious. Every eye will see him. Every eye. You can take that to the bank. That doesn't need deep interpretation. Every eye will know. Every eye will see. When Jesus returns, there's not a human being on the planet that won't be aware of it. So it will be obvious. So when people come and claim to be Messiah, you can say straight away, <laughs> if every eye hasn't seen, then forget it, pal. <clears throat> the first happened, he came in seclusion, in weakness, like a baby in a stable with just a handful of people present. That's how Messiah came the first time. The second time he comes, it's going to be in power and in might, and it's going to be obvious to all, and it's going to be glorious. That's the second thing you can take to the bank. It will be a glorious appearing of the glory of God. And Titus 2 3 says, While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's going to be magnificent. Not just, I mean, the, every eye seeing already is pretty spectacular. For the whole world to be able to see Jesus at once is spectacular. But he's going to come in glory, not in weakness, but in power. Amen. With full authority. No longer veiled, but made fully known. No longer part known. Because now we, we interpret, we, we learn. It's why we sit in church and we sit under teaching. It's why we have people like Len and Ian who are teachers. We need these guys because we see in part at the minute and, and God reveals himself to us through scripture. But it's really helpful to have people that have a gift to help us understand that. When Jesus comes, we will all know fully. He will be fully known and it will be glorious. The revealing of the majesty and the glory of God will culminate in his appearing. It will be sudden. <coughs> and let's be honest, this is the thing that we kind of forget the most as we go on. Because I think I'm going to have a lion tomorrow. And then I'm so tired this week that I'm going to have a duvet day or something like that. I just take a day off and chill. Jesus could come back. Because when he returns, it's going to be sudden. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come suddenly. Jesus is going to return in the blink of an eye. Uh, and the Gospels tell their stories that Jesus relayed about people, two people in fields, and one of them disappears and the other one's still there. That's how quick this is going to happen. It's going to be sudden. Matthew adds, 
as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all the way. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. That is how it will be. Think back to that story of Noah. You know this from Sunday school, how you know, he was mocked and people didn't understand what he was doing. They hadn't seen rain before, it hadn't occurred. Uh, and so Noah's building this ship and they're like, what are you building there, Noah? Are you loony? And they don't get it. And people don't get you. And you say, I have this hope in Jesus Christ. And they're like, what are you on about? That sounds loopy. But Jesus is like the ark who can cover you, protect you completely for that day that will come just as suddenly as those rains came. Just like that. And the final thing is that it will be definitive. He who seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I'm going to read you the whole of that passage. This is Revelation 21, 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be there with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I just want to pause for a second. Everything that you see, He's going to make you. Just please grasp the magnitude of that. Everything that you see, everything that you experience, everything that you taste and everything that you touch, He is making all things new. I quite like the earth. I like the mountains. I love being out in the mountains, in the open air, and I love just seeing the majesty of God displayed there. I love walking through the forests, and I love the, the, the rivers and the waterfalls, and I love the beaches and things like that. I love this planet. I think God's done an amazing job, and I definitely couldn't have done as good a job. But there are a few days that I've experienced in my life where there hasn't been some pain, some hurt, some letdown, some failure of hope, some way that I've stuffed it up. I've, I've really not lived an entire, I've not lived a single day in my life where there hasn't been one piece of bad news in the news, where there hasn't been one person murdered or terrorised, where there hasn't been one, one person brutally robbed or mugged or beaten, where there hasn't been somebody that's been defrauded. And, and more recently, I've barely lived a day where I don't get phone calls saying, are you needing PPI or something like that? You know, have, have you had an accident recently? And, and things like that. And it's just, this world is messed up. Even with the beauty that God has created, we've rebelled and gone away from God. 
Uh, and so the world is flawed, but he's going to make it new. And there'll be a new earth and a new heaven. And in that place, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes, every bit of grief that you have, every anxiety, every worry, every concern, every bit of shame, every bit of guilt, every bit of doubt will all be consumed in that moment as he wipes away the tears from your eyes. And how does Jesus finish the entire canon of scripture? He says, Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this book. How's your hope this morning? Where is your hope this morning? And I encourage you, if it is anywhere other than on Christ in entirety, can you put it back on him? Can we stop hoping in each other, coming through for ourselves and coming through for each other? Can we, can we stop hoping that, that one day there will be decent president or decent prime minister or decent political party or you know decent this that or the other we stop hoping in that and not hope in Christ seek first the kingdom of God seek first Christ everything else will come everything else you need seek him first and remember, he's coming back. He is. Amen. In time. There's a massive hallelujah. He's coming back. Amen. He is returning. He's going to make all things new. And this new earth is going to be fantastic. New heaven's going to be spectacular. And he's making us new. So don't despair. 